0: Greetings, rabble-rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. Greetings. Uh, This episode of Blueprints features a discussion with community activists Tigra Lee and Des. They share what it's like advocating for anti-Black racism and anti-Indigenous racism in rural Alberta and Saskatchewan. These two amazing women have persevered and created something very special in their community. Let's listen. So, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Yay. So I hate introducing people and not doing it right. So I'm going to leave that up to you two wonderful people. Um, but Des, I asked you on the podcast, thank you for agreeing, uh, because of the work you do in Alberta. I have no idea what it's like being an activist in Alberta. I'm from Ontario. So I'll ask you a bit about that later. But uh, the first thing you said was, I want to bring Tigra Lee on with me. Let me see when she's available. Why? Why was it so important She come with you today?
1: Um, So I'll start off telling you how I met Tigra, because it is like such a fun little story. Um, She's been an activist in our community for a while, and she was putting on um, some events, um, especially during like the summer of 2021, um, for things like Every Child Matters and for solidarity with missing and murdered Indigenous women um, and solidarity with like the the family in London who um, was shot or ran over as well. And so I was attending these events. Um, and at that time I knew I was running for the NDP and I was like, I need to connect with like leftists here because everybody around us is conservative. Um, and so I, I went up and I met Tigra and I introduced myself to her and I was like, hey, like we should have a conversation later and, and start doing some activist stuff together. And it was kind of awkward until we had a Zoom meeting where we, <laughs> I'm gonna, sorry, I gotta tell this is so funny that I was thinking about this last night Tigra. Um, we had a Zoom meeting where we were talking about doing um, different kinds of things in our community. Um, and Tigra kind of was super awkward. And she's like, yeah, so I just need to let you know, like, I don't know how you feel about police or anything. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm an abolitionist. Absolutely. And so since then, we've been like, like so tight she together. She was testing
0: the waters. She was, yeah. yeah
1: she's like, I don't know. Like th- this girl is like whiter than white bread. Like, I don't know how she's going to feel when I talk about police. But um, we we had this really great vibe um, and I just, I love her so much. She is such an important part of our community. Um, Tigra does so many amazing things for the unhoused people of our community, um, for people who, you know, just don't have access to to anything or people who are down on their luck. Tigra is there consistently and doing everything that she can. Um, and I feel sometimes that my work doesn't translate in the, the same way that hers does. And because she's so important to our community and because the work she does is just so, like it inspires me and it's so critical to me. I can't help but show her off. I have to bring her along and be like, look at look at Tigra, look at Tigra, she's amazing. Um, and, and she proves it every single time I get to chat with her and she's, she's just so helpful to me and such an important part of my activism um, and my journey that I could not bring her with me.
0: I mean, your energy level just kind of ups yeah. that extra ante when you start talking. Um, I hope you guys feed off of each other in that way because um, we all need we all need comrades like that.
2: That's just like the best type <laughs> woman. Like I bring mean, I mean, you with me everywhere. Can you introduce me <laughs> always? Yes,
0: secretly yeah, everyone's for office. I mean, you need to be at every door ahead of her, right? Yep.
2: seriously. Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: Tigra, we've heard why Des loves you so much, but you want to give us like a bit of a more of an official introduction of, of who you are? Sure. What
2: what you do? Yeah, okay. So um, like Des said, and you said, my name is Tigra Lee. Um, I am an activist here in Lloyd Minster, and I'm co-founder of a group called Lloyd Minster and Vermilion for Equity Foundation. Um, we are a registered nonprofit that officially got nonprofit st- status last November. Um we operated for about a year um before we had our nonprofit status. So that was really exciting. Um we originally formed um after the death of George Floyd. So um we had a protest and by we, I mean m- like myself and my other group members, I have there's three other core group members right now. And uh we had a protest in Vermilion and, uh, we knew that we had to keep the conversation going. And so we decided to have weekly roundtable meetings, um, and invite the community out of Vermilion. Um, and then we switched it to having one in Vermillion and one in Lloydminster and just kind of, um, switching off weeks. And, uh, yeah there were a lot of weeks where nobody came out (laughs) and there were there were a lot of our events where um we had a lot of backlash like Des said we live in a very conservative area Um, and uh, it was it was difficult to get off the ground but um, so far we have um, really started to impact our community by um, supporting and amplifying the voices of the unhoused um, and um, just marginalized community here in in lloyd so um, that's where my passion is uh, social justice um, mutual aid um, anti-racism building diverse and equitable spaces Um, that's really where my passion is Um, i am also an entrepreneur and a mom of 3. I also work full time, so there's a lot going on um at all times. So um but it it is rewarding. It's thankless, but it's rewarding. So, yeah. It's a bit about me.
0: Well, I I thank you for doing that work and even, I I don't know how you do it quite often I ask guests like if there were a thousand yous what would you want them all doing? I feel like I'd there might be a all. thousand years. Like
2: literally.
0: <laughs> 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 Who? No. <laughs> is that just too much Tigra? Yeah. Yeah, is. that's too much Tigra. I, I
1: personally want a thousand
0: but <laughs> There's your fan club chipping in it. Um, so you talked about a forming a large bulk of this in the wake of um, George Floyd's murder.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think a lot of communities saw action. in in the weeks, in the months, um, even small towns, you know, here, where I'm in rural Ontario. So I I do kind of live in a similar, I think, level of community when it comes to uh, tolerance and levels of racism. So it was nice that we did have, uh, we were able to have some action here. But I think having something sustained following it is what others struggled to do. Um, why do you think, and then I know some of your meetings, you say like maybe nobody's there and, and not, it's not always a measurable success. Right. But what do you think you did that allowed you to kind of sustain and build on that and create the, the, the equity foundation for Lloyd
2: and Vermillion? Yeah. So it was, it was disheartening at first because, Especially with my type of personality, like you want to be good at everything, um, and be as direct and hard hitting as possible, and reach as many people as possible. Um, but uh, when you are dealing with uh, communities that are so established, you know, many have the same like founding families that um settled here, right? Um, it, and it's hard to change viewpoints, especially when you are coming in with something new. Um, So to stay uh, to stay positive and really remember that what you're building is trust, you're building trust with other community members, you're building trust with the vulnerable community as well. Um, many people that have been silenced for so long, they don't feel the need to reach out for support or they don't feel like society really has their back. Um, it really takes time Um so that was what that was what really pushed me forward. There I had, you know, group members that were like what's the point of this Tigra? Like we're not moving forward, nobody's coming out, we're not reaching anybody. And then it took probably like probably about a solid year um for uh people and like our community members to really realize and come to terms with, you know, we're not calling our entire town racist. We're not calling every single person racist. Um, we're really just trying to address serious issues that impacts all of the world, really not just our own community. And, you know, because it's not so, um, co it's not so overt, you know, people, uh, unless you're white supremacy guy or white power guy out in vermilion, um, it's it is more covert here and i feel like that's harder to navigate um but uh i just really tried to stay positive persevere um uh pull from the supports um that i have created over the past couple years here and uh and really push forward and um when we started to get a a a lot of backlash really from the communities of Lloyd and Vermilion um, somebody said something to me that really hit home and um, it they said to me um, this is the response this is the response that you're looking for if you weren't getting this response and there wouldn't be an issue you wouldn't be impacting people like you are right now um, so I really took that and um, I really kept that close to me so when times did get tough you know when we were getting death threats and people were coming to um, our events to just disrupt. Um, I really held on to that. And, you know, at the end of the day, really come home and debrief and, you know, okay, you know, it was hard, but you got through it. And tomorrow's another day. That's, that's a theme I've definitely heard
0: from a lot of activists, not that um, you're not sharing something new, but just that it's, it's just so critical to build trust in the community first, right, before you kind of do that work. And um, Des uh, spoke earlier, I think you do something, Tigra, that you, you didn't mention, but you I, I believe kind of act like a beacon also for progressives and people looking to join in these fights, uh, Des mentioned and maybe you can talk to that experience moving to Alberta and trying to find other progressives uh, to work alongside. I know, Des, you ran for the NDP, so I guess um, that allowed people to kind of probably come to you and understand that there was another uh, a socialist uh, in town. Um, but do you feel Tigrid does that? And is that work important? Is it hard to find allies in Alberta?
1: It's You know, it's really interesting because... I like I've been around a lot of Lakeland as a riding, um, and through a lot of northern Alberta. Um, I'm pretty well traveled through the province, um, and I've met all sorts of different people. And especially during the election, like talking about um, different kinds of issues, I find that people aren't really that afraid of leftist policies or leftist ideas. They just don't understand most of the time. And especially in small rural communities where it's predominantly white, um, they just don't have a lot of exposure to other people and to other ways of being other communities, other ideologies. Um, And so it tends to be like, when you start talking to certain people um, about anything progressive, you can usually get them on a couple of, you know, things like, I I agree that like, we should have that. We should have this. Um, But it's, it's really like, I would say it's, it's harder to find somebody who has all of the same ideas or more left ideas. Um, I find people are really in that centrist camp or like no political home, but they have ideas and they, they have an idea that they want society to be. They just don't know how to get there. Um, honestly, if anything, um, I think I've had an easier experience finding progressives in the community mostly because I am quite white, um, compared to, to Tigra, like Tigra's experience going door to door during the election, getting cert- signatures for me was such a different experience to me going alone and going door to door. Um, and the experience that she and I had together going door to door together was different, um, than my alone experience and her alone experience. Um, and so I think honestly, it's, it's almost easier for me to find other people in my camp because I have, um, I have that whiteness that really protects me in a way that not a lot of people um, who are in this this line of work tend to have, um, and it's 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 a barrier I think in Alberta and in Saskatchewan that really has to to be broken down by people like me who are educated and who have that privilege and who can enter those spaces and start breaking down those walls. Um, but I, I find it easier um, just as a, just because I can kind of hide my marginalized identities really um which isn't a good a good thing by any
0: means um but it is unfortunately a reality in alberta do you find um a lot of the comments that we've had earlier too was in our circles even in um our progressive circles um there's a lot of decolonizing to do within those circles Uh, so you may find other progressives but there's still work to do there right forget about the broader community do you find that the same tigra do you do you feel like you do a lot of heavy lifting as as an activist to kind of make sure you're surrounded by folks that are you know they understand i know you the way you kind of tested des and and am you know, you're not going to be bringing cops to the rally, right? We don't get permits. um
2: Yeah, it's true. Like, so when I yeah when I first met Des, she was running for the for NDP, and I uh I don't know you Des, you kind of touched on it where you know we don't really have, I don't really fit anywhere politically. I feel, and if. Um, like at that time if I was to vote it would have been NDP um if I was to vote or Green Party and uh just hearing um the amount of ridiculousness that the Green Party was going through at the time and I had a couple friends actually um that were a part of that whole hotness like I don't even know I don't even want to touch on that it was ridiculous but uh So when I met Des and and she's like, yeah, I'm gonna run for NDP, and then I made that comment (laughs) like, I don't really know if you know, like we're going to 100% align because I'm very anti anti cop, and she's like, oh, we're abolitionists here. I'm like, girl, sis, we are best friends now, and um, because it is it is hard, you find progressives or you find other socialists or leftists that have some of the same um viewpoints and ideologies but you know when you say defund or uh, abolish they just get all squirrely so yeah so it's though there's certain topics you know that you can't you kind of do have to test them like i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna judge you based on this response so um it uh but you, once you, like once you once you get into activism, you find many many like minded people. Um, it's just how like minded they are. But um, there is like anti black and anti indigenous racism is so prevalent. No matter what circle you're in, there's so much unlearning to do. White supremacy um, runs so rampant. Nobody's impervious to it. Um, the decolonization that you touched on, one hundred percent, does need to happen. And um, up outside of doing this work in the community, um, you are up against um, other outside community members that r- truly don't understand your purpose and uh, uh, understand your your mission. Um, but we have to deal with lateral violence within the socialist and leftist communities as well, whether that be stereotypes, racism, lateral violence, you know, anti-queerness and, um, just like various different things. So, um, support, 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 support is really what you need. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found a lot of like-minded people, but, (sighs) you can you have to build barriers still, um, regardless of how much you relate to that, that one person just to keep yourself safe. Because once you start to burn out, it's so hard to get back on the right track. And does and I have been there <laughs> multiple times together within the past couple years here. Um, but it like, she, um, she, I feel very very comfortable with her because there's not many people too that you can say that to like hey I'm burnt out so many times like we've made plans and you know we're on the same level where it's like we have plans but I'll cancel or she cancels and I don't can't speak for you does. but sometimes I'm like yes I just need. It. Today. oh my goodness
1: <laughs> the, the worst so, thing about being an activist is just how absolutely exhausting being alive gets mm, after a while especially just yeah. as, as we watch capitalism failing more and more every day I think it just takes so much out of us and it it's really important to find people who you can cancel plans with. <laughs> And I'm so glad I have you.
2: I love you so much, Tigra. <laughs> I love you so much, too. It's true, though. Yeah, you to have people that you can just be be your 100 percent authentic self. And I think that's a lot of the learning, too, that I've learned in the last the last few years. Here's how like to, the amount of unlearning that every single one of us has to do. Um, that in itself is exhausting as well
0: that kind of inner work. But I mean, that burnout is real. And it's so nice that you can lean on each other. Um, I can attest to yeah, that. There's always a few close comrades where they just know there's yeah. no explanation needed. It's, I'm bailing. Um, but, you know, think about before we started recording, how many, and even then what Des and you have listed, how many issues just you are fighting um, or have advocated for, you know, you're talking about missing and murdered indigenous women housing advocacy, anti-black racism, anti-indigenous racism, um the harms of the residential schools and unpacking that plus the pressures of capitalism that you're fighting and being bombarded with daily. Um so um kudos to you for being able to sustain that work for so long for operating without your nonprofit status and pers- like just that push through i mean not everybody can do that especially during these circumstances the pandemic has sucked a lot of energy out of a lot of so you know be so proud of that work that you're doing and let's let's talk a little more about the work specifically you talked about um amplifying the voices of the unhoused and other members of your community that are otherwise marginalized Mm -hmm. how do you do that you know um you don't grab a megaphone. How do we amplify those voices while remaining respectful of their situation? Sometimes and... I
2: do grab a megaphone. She does have a megaphone. She totally does. <laughs> One hundred. I got a brand, my husband bought me a brand new megaphone. Oh, that's love. I, yeah. 100. I was like so excited. I started marching throughout my house. Black lives matter. And my dog started howling. I was like, this is perfect. Oh, I this love your
1: dog. Such a good
2: ally. Right? She's so great um we so we do a mutual aid outreach once a week called lve street team um my good friend claire i'll give her shout out claire she is a co-founder of water warriors yeg in in edmonton and i got the opportunity to meet her at a few protests and counter protests and her energy and spirit was just awesome and Um, they had a little, uh, I don't know, like sidecar of water warriors called water wings in the, um, not last summer, but the summer before when we had a really hot heat wave. And so I, to my other co-founder, his name's Brad, I was like, Hey, you know, we should go around with water. Like people aren't able to get inside. Um, they're not, I know that, um, our men's shelter. And our drop-in center, they were only operating at like a third capacity or half capacity. Um, And uh, they weren't able to just just water, just to get water. It was super hot outside. So um, we put a call out for some uh, rollable coolers. And we filled it with ice and water. And we went out and we just started giving out water. And then we started bringing snacks. So we started water and snacks and we're like well, you know what we need sandwiches so we started with water snacks and sandwiches and we then we got donated a collapsible wagon and so obviously we had to stuff as much stuff in there as we could to bring out, so we got socks, toothbrushes, toothpaste uh like hygiene products uh feminine care products. just put as much stuff in this in this wagon as we possibly could. Are these all um, donations like how do you yeah. well they yes, they were donations, but a lot of it came out of our own pockets as well like m- much of it came out of our own pockets. Um, but that also ties back into building trust. Like we would put out calls for on like our community Facebook pages for, um, different products and stuff. But, uh, until, um, we became a little bit more established in the, in the community, um, and, you know, people could see what their donations were going towards, um, it took a bit of time to start getting monetary donations in which we have a bit now. So that's good. It really helps out, but a lot of it still does come out of our own pockets. Um, but um, so this was in, and we worked, we worked right into the winter um, and uh, outside, we were just outside at city hall and then we got clothing donations. So we, every weekend we went out to city hall, set up two tables. Um, we would have our bag lunches, um, our clothing donation items, um, and then we just have them out. So then, housed community members, many we see mo- the same people mostly every week. There are some new people that we get to see. So they knew they we we would show up to City Hall and they would be there waiting for us. And um, now during the cold months, my good friend Tyler, he um, runs residence and recovery and um which is our recovery center here in lloyd so i i asked if we could use his space to set up during the winter time um and he said yes so now we're in there every sunday um which is nice because with covid there wasn't many spaces the drop-in center had closed actually so there weren't many spaces for them to go and be warm take a rest just sit down um have something warm to eat in their belly and a good conversation as well. Um, good conversation, have somebody that's there that's going to listen to them. Um I um am was a part of that community, the unhoused community, um, in in Edmonton before I moved to Lloydminster. And um I uh, was an active addiction for ten years um when I moved here and I got clean and sober. So a lot of these um a lot of what I try to do is out of um, like experience from my own experience and what I what, what I appreciated um, and what what I would have liked to see. Um, but also the work we do is 100% with the unhoused and the vulnerable community members in the forefront, They tell us what they need. They tell us, um, what they would appreciate. Um, they tell us, um, what's happening to them within the community, um, so that we are able to advocate for them, whether that be, um, housing, whether that be harm reduction, whether that be, like, any other, like, social issues. Um, we can try, uh, since we're so new, um, we don't have too, too much capacity, um, but we do try and do what we can. One kind of theme I'm picking up as you're talking is asking.
0: So you make really bold asks of, of your allies, of the community, right, to enable what you do, but you also ask the people you're working with. That's a lot of listening, right? A lot of activism sometimes doesn't include that. I mean, good activism does, but quite often, especially in political spaces, we get talked at a lot. Des, is this, you know, this is not a typical political approach, um, the listening, right, from our experiences within the NDP. Do you feel like these are more productive spaces for you um, than going door to door as a political candidate?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think especially now, as I mean, like, you know, last year, I think we were in a completely different state in terms of social and political relations um, amongst everybody. It's, it's become so much more polarized, so much faster than any of us really thought it could in just a short year. Uh, I mean, we're not even a full year out from the election and the political ideas that were around in September have escalated so much. Um, and so I honestly, like for myself now, I don't know if I can even operate in politics because it's just very obviously not working and it hasn't been working, but what Tigra does and and what Tigra is passionate about and what she gives to our community, that's what works. And it it works for the people of our community. It works for, you know, like the way that our community, really Lloydminster and and Vermillion, we're we're really tight communities. Like we're small communities. And there's already that like, um, I mean, you know how it is in rural. Everybody's kind of friends with each other, but like only if you're, you know, Look, we're we're the same color. We're going to be friends. If you're you're a foreigner, parentheses, I'm not going to be as nice to you because I'm a rural person. But um, Tigra's work changes that. That changes that atmosphere. You know that creates that inclusion. It creates that that basis for equity. And politics can't. Just straight up, it can't, because, because it doesn't listen. It doesn't take real democracy into consideration on how an entire community feels. It doesn't take the time to familiarize itself with the community in the way that politics, realistically, we, we would expect it to, being a service that serves the people, right? Um, and that's just why I just love what LVE does so much and what Tigre does, because like, Tigre took exactly what needed to be done in our community I just started freaking doing it. And like, nobody can really say that. And, you know, I can't even say that. Um, and I, I feel like so inspired and just so incredibly energized by the work that she does. Genuinely, like I think Tigger does more, more than any politician could ever do for our community, just by being, being her and, and having the heart that she
0: does and knowing to ask the right questions. I'm, th- I'm thinking back, to your answer. And then, Integers kind of sus of you as an NDP candidate. It wasn't actually this beacon of hope, right? It wasn't like, Oh, she must be cool. She's NDP, right? She's progressive. It was like, all right. You seem a little establishment. Um, But I feel that is the case now, you know, I'm, I'm also a former candidate, but now I look at, at candidates with a little bit of, you know, um, because of, these ideas that you're talking, Des, that that are shooting up, you're not talking about leftist ideas. We don't really see them kind of exploding in the way that we need them. You're, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the rise of the right and in, in this polarization because we've not really seen. Well, we have, right? The good people like Tigre Lee aren't really all that involved with electoral politics. A lot of people aren't, right? The most marginalized are not because it doesn't speak to them, right? The communities that you're helping probably don't vote all that much, right? And so when we, we continue to talk at voters, we're missing this huge picture that you're engaging with mutual aid and, and all of these other activities, Um so, like, secretly, like in the work that you do, we know how you make immediate impacts on your community members, right? By listening to them and creating spaces and in food, right? Like that is so obvious a, a need and and housing. But how do we? How does your work help the broader picture? Are we changing the messaging? Are you pressuring politicians?
2: What else does that work do? I really think it's just leading by example over the past year you know leftists like socialist, communists they're all kind of like buzzwords now um and to be honest like i don't subscribe to any of it i do not subscribe to being a leftist a centrist right wing because i don't have faith in our governments and I don't even understand what what that means. You know what I mean? Like, and I say this all the time because I truly like to see someone, to see a community member out there and you're not trying to provide some support or, you know, that there is an issue within the community, but you're uh, criminalizing it doesn't make sense to me. I honestly cannot understand it. Um, so it's just like the ideologies on both sides, I don't subscribe to. Um, and like I said, like really just try to, to lead by example, you know, when, um, social media is a great tool. Um, I do think that it it has its good and it's bad to it. Um, but, uh, we do, we put pictures out and we put posts out and we'll put them in the community groups um for accountability one because we do get a lot of donations um monetary and item donations from the community so um one for accountability but two you know um we did start this from the ground up it took a lot of work but it was doable so if we can do it somebody else can do it as well our mayor here in lloyd we uh we have some sort of an understanding (laughs) um And uh, we but we have we've gone and protested outside of uh, outside of the RCMP building outside of City Hall many times we've had I've had personally had many conversations with our um, with our mayor, Uh, we've written letters, you know, and we've put pressure on the governments but any results? No, there's, there's no results for like we when we had the Wet'suwet'en protest, we stood in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en. And we wrote a letter to our MLA, um, Garth and the response we got, I wish I could find it. Cause if I would send it to you, um, it's probably in another email, but it was awful. It was heinous. It was just like, well, you know, um, pretty much, uh, they got, they're getting what they deserve. And, um, the chiefs, uh already agreed to it so what they're doing is futile and it, it, he's also uh
1: he's a climate change denialist
2: completely yes. he does not believe yes. in
1: climate change he does not believe that there is a climate emergency um yeah and yeah it's a hoax to yeah end. wow <laughs> And anything scientific, I assume, is a hoax to to, to the <laughs> Garth the an idiot, government. right? Is they're that what you're trying to up, tell me? They're they're just straight up Christo fascists, to be honest. Yes. Um, the the I like I love Christianity. I am a self self described Christian, um, but man, the last couple of years, Christianity been whack. Christianity gotten super whack. Um, I don't I, know no, I no, think no. they
0: have a history of they blackness do. <laughs> to you be know, honest, I, but I,
1: I love I, this I'm not is gonna... my thing I like I know lots about Christianity it's a whole thing um, I'm a strong believer that Christianity peaked when it was a sect of Judaism it should never have separated from that um, that's when it was peaking um, but we are here now unfortunately is
0: hot take we'll have to be in a whole new episode oh, on- if you want to get a
1: hot takes on christianity like I, I was an evangelical christian for like 10 years i got hot takes i got hot
2: takes <laughs> yes we also um i also grew up in the church as well pentecostal and uh, uh p- part pentecostal p- part cult so there's the 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 yeah we could we could do a whole other podcast i was on gonna say now humanity. it'll just be the two
0: of you on again
2: yeah well we'll go through all the cults that are in Lloyd because there's at least five <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a lot there's a lot there's a some lot some say and the NDP's millions. a
0: leadership cult right <laughs> well, there's cults everywhere yep. <laughs> let's not judge <laughs> um let's go back to the work that you're doing again we'll circle back what you know, kind of, is the biggest barrier? I know, like, you've talked about maybe spinning your wheels with politicians and it going nowhere. Let's imagine we just, like, just forget about those folks. Other than those are useless representation, what's your biggest barrier as an activist? Is that external? Maybe it's internal.
2: Mm. Ah, that's a really good question. Um, My biggest barrier right now, um, is finding appropriate social services to direct people. Like one of our, um, missions and like part of our mission and vision is to be a conduit. Um, so people will come to us, we listen to them and then we direct them in different areas of, um, like spe- spe- uh, special areas, specialty areas, specialty people, whether that's, you know, um, income support, um, some social services, education, um, therapy, addiction services. Um, but when we talk about decolonization and we talk about defunding and, you know, and uplifting other social areas, those areas all need to be decolonized as well so um child social services 100% needs to be decolonized education 100% needs to be decolonized but instead of putting the work into these areas when the government needs money they defund all of those areas they don't put any work into them and somehow all of this money goes to the RCMP um that is the, that's the number one area right now that I'm having difficulty with is, um, finding safe spaces because you don't want to perpetuate harm. You don't want to tell them to, you know, okay, well, you visit the service. When more often than not, that's the only option that we have. So that's what we have to do, um, In order to get them some sort of support, because I can't 100% say that all of the support that they'll get in that area is negative. Um, So any positivity um, that would come out of that is beneficial because we don't have any other options. So that in itself, that in itself is the biggest barrier that we're seeing right now.
0: Kind of reminds me of, you know, when you know someone is in crisis and you know you don't want the police but you don't know who else to call. So it's not a matter of, you know, you don't, you know, you just don't know what services available is, you know, that some of those services will actually do more
2: harm. That is the only, that is the only thing we can do here in Lloyd is call RCMP. When you have any sort of crisis at all, the only thing you can do is call the RCMP. And it, it is, it's a, it's a hard decision. You don't know, if you are going to call them, and then more often than not, they are judged immediately upon arrival. Before that person um, is in social crisis or um, uh, is in some sort of crisis, um, is needing mental health support, you know, they're a drunk indigenous person. That is first and foremost what is seen. So um, you don't know if they are going to be victims of police brutality. You don't know if they're going to be taken seriously. You don't know if they're actually in, they need life-saving help, but they're going to go to the hospital and not receive that. And which has happened quite a few times here and in other surrounding areas where people have gone multiple times to the hospital there. One person ended up taking his own life in a hospital, in a bathroom, because he had gone multiple times and was not supported There are multiple, multiple stories. I have heard so many stories out of the hospital here of people during racism.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll just interject even um, my own experience, Um, not me personally, but um, my brother was in crisis in the hospital here in Lloyd. And like, he's a he's an indigenous man. He looks quite indigenous compared to me. Um, And he's a big guy. He's built like a refrigerator. Um, He was in a mental health crisis and the nurse called the the cops on him. Because he was sitting behind a toilet crying because he didn't want her to take his temperature. And she said, oh, he's going to hurt me. He's going to kill me. And called two police officers who showed up with guns and tasers. And like my, my brother was like 17 years old and he's terrified out of his mind. And the, the only thing that they saw was a big, scary native guy who is uncontrollable to them. Um, and they just the first thing they did was call the police. And, and it's just that's how it is here. Um, and it's, it's
2: really frustrating because it's, it's literally inescapable. And that's something similar. Well, not similar, but I've also had my own experience there after I had my youngest daughter, she like newborn babies, they kind of get like a newborn rash. Sometimes some are worse than others. And, um, she had quite a substantial newborn rash and her, um, startle reflex. Like she got startled very easily and, um, I, I noticed it. So I, I asked the nurse about, it. I was like, Hey, what's up? Like what's going on with this? And the pediatrician literally asked me if I was doing drugs (laughs) and they asked me multiple times, are you, do you do drugs? Are you doing drugs? Are you sure you didn't do any drugs? Like this is my third baby. I'm sure I did not do any drugs. If I was concerned about that, I would have, I would have relayed that to you. Um, and because of the rash, I got asked if I had herpes And, uh, you know, as a new, not a new mom, but I mean, I just gave birth and those and and being COVID tested right after you give birth, plus all of those questions on top of it, not being able to have the support that I would have had with my other two children as well. Like I was alone. My husband, I had two other kids at home and because he couldn't go, he couldn't leave and come back. Um, I, I opted to stay by myself because I didn't have any other choice. So it was, and that's, that's just like our stories out of, I've heard so many, so many, so many stories out of this hospital. Um, can't remember what the question was. Sorry. That was kind of a really (laughs) random
0: tangent. (laughs) Let me come, let me come back with another question then kind of based on what you said, because one of the struggles that I face in my progressive circles, um, when we try to talk about defunding the RCMP. You know, mm. there was a resolution and you know, I brought it to my riding association and socialist progressives, you know, from anti-black um racist advocates, and a lot of resistance to defunding the RCMP. And one of the major sticking points um, that I obviously couldn't speak from experience, but you too can. Was you know we've got a lot of these rural towns, cities that only have the RCMP, and what would they do? Um, should there not be obviously it's a gradual defunding and a building up of community services? You know it's not, but that was the the resistance that it faced that that it was towns like yours that absolutely needed the RCMP um, to mm-hmm. solve all of your problems. So what would you say to those folks that just can't see
2: another way for towns like Lloyd? Des, you should answer this one. I know you have a phenomenal response to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's actually interesting because
1: Tigra and I had had this conversation um, a little while ago, too, where we talked about the fact that Lloyd needs to have the RCMP for crisis response. Um, and it's because we genuinely have no other services. Um, and as, as you go throughout Alberta, especially rural Northern Alberta, it's the same thing where, you know, some places they don't even have like an actual RCMP detachment. They have like a building that officers from a different community show up at in the morning and they go, they go there and they work there for the day. Um, because there's, there's no, you know, there's no municipality funds or anything. So they just have a tiny little building that they operate out of. Um, and it is, it's a huge problem um, but it was made to be like that. The system was set up to be like this so that they're the only things that we have access to. Um, you know, that comes from colonization, that comes from how this country fundamentally was set up and how systemically they needed to, you know, control the natives and all of this bull crap um that we know that the RCMP is was funded on and, and created on. Um from what I have learned, I like it is that gradual change, um, that that gradual bringing over of community services. I think in a lot of communities out rural, especially in um, Alberta, I could see something where if Lloydminster, for example, was set up with like a community response, um, we would have to take the onus at first and extend that out, right? Like Lloydminster having a community-based response, we would extend that to places like Kit Scottie, which is only like 15 minutes outside of Lloyd, or Marwain, which is about 30 minutes or Vermillion or, or whatever areas. Um, I think that it would be really difficult, honestly, to to make that change. And I think it would be an effort that would have to come from the entire community being ready to make that change. Um, And honestly, I I don't think it would even be successful unless we were able to, meaningfully address the problems that cause the RCMP to be needed. So things like we have safe drug supply for people who need to access it. And we have a place where they can go to use those drugs safely and have medical response. Um, You know, we do things like providing housing for everybody in that community so that people don't have to, you know, sleep in alleys and have the cops called on them or break into a place and have the cops called on them. Um, it's, It's unfortunate that like, in order to really start the process of fixing these things that we have to start by fixing the problems to make it so that we don't even need the police in the first place. Um, but that's, that's kind of the beautiful thing that like a, you know, a group like LVE can do um, especially as it gets larger and like creating that, that space to be like, Hey, don't call them, call us. Um, I think would be really the, like the best way to start that is having those groups of people where, you know, somebody's trained, um, to respond to any kind of mental health situations. I know here in Lloyd they do provide um, mental health training. Um, I don't know how much it costs. Um, I'm going to actually look into it later, though. But I know you can it's get these two hundred dollars. Ew, two hundred dollars. It's
2: two or two fifty. Gross capitalism. sucks. seriously. I know um, it got offered <laughs> to us, which I thought was really awesome. But then I kept thinking, I'm like, the unhoused should have this knowledge they should have this training so they can support themselves. But for 200, I can't even afford that. No, that's ridiculous.
1: That's ridiculous. well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get the course. I'm going to learn it and then I'll teach it to everybody for free. That's what we'll do. Yes. Well, Pirate Bay, Pirate enough. Bay crash courses. <laughs> but yeah. Like, like that's, that's, you know, what you have to do is create those community systems and have that, that number that, you know, you know to call that person or this group and they're going to come and have the people who are reliable for it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where we need to start looking. It's the, the reality is, I think um, that we need to consider over the next eight years as you know, we're we're looking to a future where we're going to have more polarized politics, especially on the far right, as you know, we see um, Pierre Polivier, whatever his name is, Per Poutine, getting all his like these big rallies and mega types things like we're going to see more of this. We're going to see more climate disasters. We're going to see more people being unhoused and more people living and falling into that poverty line. Um, We're just going to have to pick up the responsibility together and, you know, arm in arm say, no, you know what? This isn't acceptable. None of us have to live like this. None of us have to have to adhere to these ideas that society's telling us that we need to live by. We're eventually going to as individuals and as a community and as community groups, we're just going to start having to taking that responsibility and just ask for forgiveness later. You know, we know this person needs to get housed today. We're going to find them a house today. We'll ask for, for forgiveness later. That's what we're going to eventually be falling into, I think. Um, And I I think that we should be open and willing and ready to have the conversations on what that looks like and how we build up to that point point. Because um, if we don't have those conversations now, by the time that we need to have those systems in place, it's going to be way more difficult than any of us would like. Um, and I think a lot of people will fall through the cracks.
0: Like, I'm yeah. I'm hopeful that this model that you have is... Um can act as an example, like you said, like leading by example for others to follow. And if you can demonstrate a different way of operating community, which is really municipal, right? Ideally, you folks shouldn't have to do this, right? This is what you pay your taxes for so that we can take care of each other and not corporations, right? So I'm going to challenge you a little bit here in the same way folks challenge food banks, If we take that onus on ourselves, the entire onus of feeding our community members, have we not left a lot of people off the hook? And and not that that's your work, like we got to feed people, we have to house people right now, right? We can't wait for like transformative politics to happen. But how do we start to make that shift where it's understood that that shouldn't be Des's responsibility? It should not be T. Gridley's and her friend's responsibilities to feed the community of Lloyd right? Like, um, you, you do have a mayor, you, you do pay taxes. There is a provincial government, there is a federal government with certain responsibilities. I know we don't trust them, but it is still their job. Like, so we, I, I worry that if we structure ourselves like this, where the onus is put on people who are already struggling and burning out as we do, that that is not sustainable. Um,
2: wh- our government's not sustainable. Yeah, it isn't. Our government's not sustainable, though. And the thing is, um, especially when you have a nonprofit and you are doing mutual aid, you have to be super mindful not to fall into the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, and you have to be mindful about not falling into this white-centered charity idea um, where you are going to come in and save everybody. We're not saving people, Um, we're supporting our community, Um, and uh, we are showing other community members that they are also capable of supporting as well. especially when it comes to food, um, doesn't I have plans? We have plans we for plans. this summer. <laughs> and yeah, it's just where well, I'm super excited because we are going to be growing food. We're going to be growing food. And the way that I see it, my vision, my vision is for everyone when when we address the unhoused and the vulnerable community members when they are taken care of everyone's taken care of when we can start there and we know that they are taken care of the entire community is taken care of my plan and my vision is for anyone who is gardening anyone who has luscious gardens anyone who wants to you know is new into gardening um we can grow these luscious gardens and trade and have a market like a farmer's market, but just like seriously straight across trading vegetables. Um, Right. I know I'm so excited for it. And, um, you know, like if you want to, you know, come and you have like you want to make a couple bucks, cool. If you have some stuff you want to trade, cool. At the end of the season, we can do seed trading. Oh, I'm so excited. We could do seed trading. We can do, we can, and, but we can also get that, that uh, education out there as well. Like this, like we can do gardening workshops. And like, and when I say this, it is with the unhoused community in the forefront. They already know what's playing being planned. They helped plant seeds to start seeds. Um, Deswin was that last weekend or the weekend before? That was last weekend because I had the boys. Yes. So they they helped they helped plant seeds. They are going to show me it's kind of do and ask permission later. You know, I'm not asking. I believe we call to... it Gorilla Gardening. Yes. Or we've called it Operation Antrifa or Plantifa. <clears throat> oh my plantifa. Plantifa.
0: <laughs> plantifa plantifa is a t-shirt waiting to happen oh, as it's well. already a t-shirt it's
2: already yep. a t-shirt perfect it's or- <laughs> yeah. I, will, I, will I will buy send, one yeah. i'll have to send it to you it, but it's the, the thing is these 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 terms are not they're not co-opted anyone can use them and they're any you want to stick it on a t-shirt go into canva make your own little plantifa logo go right ahead um but uh, yeah, ask, do now and ask permission later. And you know what, when it explodes, which I envision it exploding um, and, you know, other community members can really see um, that it's possible. Um, I think that we, it, it, it will truly be leading by example. It will, it's, it will be, it's genuine. It's not forced. It's not like, you know, like, uh, like, um, Jehovah's Witnesses where you have to go door to door and you're like please believe in this like no watch we'll do it you know if it resonates with you you do it too it's not gonna harm anyone maybe cross-pollination but (laughs) I still figure that part out but uh it is um it's it's putting the education out there that we can be self-sufficient as a community if we want to if we put the, if we truly put the work in we can do it and be self-sufficient as a community. Um, but the education, that is such a big part, whether it be food scarcity, um, food insecurity, housing, harm reduction, safe consumption, um, police, uh, a- a- abolishing the police, like it all comes down to education and putting the stats out there, um, like the, the, the correlation, the cause and effect even If we start working here at the bottom, down with the basics, this is how it will affect up here. And um, some people are very, are very analytically minded. They, you know, you have to put statistics and percentages and numbers out there for them to understand, you know, like if we had sustainable housing for everyone in the long run, this actually saves us money. In the long run, we end up building our community better. We have a stronger community, a better relationship, you know, and I've thought of various ways of how we can do this, but just new and innovative ways, whether that's, you know, I don't know about you, but when I see random QR codes, hopefully I don't get a virus one day on my phone. When I see random QR codes, I always scan it. Always. So right so like part like that would that was one idea like putting together stats and then putting up qr codes around the city you know or you know um making different brochures or having different rallies um community discussions but really education um based uh, i don't know how to word it properly um but also with Also, with the community members in the forefront, with those marginalized people that have been silenced in the forefront, we are amplifying them. They know what they need. um, And we are just there to push them and get them into spaces Mm -hmm. um, that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get into. Yeah. And I I think um, the really important thing about
1: that vision that you have of how our community should and can and will operate, and I'm going to manifest that right now, it will operate like this, Mm -hmm. is I don't think it will take the onus away from the people who have let us down. I think, honestly, when our community sees how easy it was to make those little changes, it's going to be like, oh, are you kidding? They could have done this before. We could have we could have had this for years, you know. Like, um, we have a garden, a community garden here in Lloyd. The wait list is like almost two, three years. Um, and it's expensive to get a garden plot. And if you don't have a backyard, if you don't have a backyard garden, there's nowhere else you can go to to
2: you know do this. Um and, and people it's hard. It like is. it's far. Like if you're living downtown, like that walk is probably about 45 minutes.
1: Oh, I'd say even more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much an an inaccessible thing. Um, and so, you know, it's just easy if we throw up some, some gorilla gardens, some, you know, plant plantarifa all of a sudden, Oh, Hey, you don't have to worry about this waiting list. Now you've got fresh lettuce in your front yard. It's on the, you know, we have so many grassy medians across town that have nothing on them except for litter because people just throw stuff around because it's not pretty. Well, let's make it pretty. You're not going to wreck it now because it's beautiful, right? Um, And I I think that's that it'll just be a a time of, as we're working through it, educating people and even just making people angry ourselves, you know, Um, handing out sandwiches and being like, isn't it ridiculous that, you know, Shannon Stubbs is our MP and she didn't show up here and she's not handing out sandwiches? Super weird. Rosemary Falk, she's not here handing out any water to unhoused people. What are they doing? Why are we paying them $200,000 a year?
2: once?" Exactly. Yeah. You know. Oh, I did. The onus is on all of us, though. The onus is on all of us as 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 members of this community to support to support our community, to support our community members, and not you know rely on structures and systems that we know don't work that are built off profit. they They are built off profit. They're they're built off systemic racism. And they just they have proven time and time again that we don't that it doesn't work. So, well,
0: I appreciate the work that you guys are doing to kind of disrupt and decolonize. Um, We're kind of near the end of our time here. But I, I also I'm listening to you and I just keep thinking you folks need a commune. In Lloyd, right? If I yes. if, if I could have yes. magic wand, I know I like, you know, I'll fix all the problems of the world, yada yada. But mm. if I could do one little thing for you, it'd be to give you a, a plot of space, a plot of land in your community with yes. structure. And I can only imagine what you would do. And it may sound really silly, but I'm rewatching The Walking Dead. That's how I relax, don't judge. <laughs> so and they get to start anew, right? And each yeah. one has its own style, and yes. and and you do get to start again. in this horrific uh, post-apocalyptic, <laughs> you know, wastage capitalism, <laughs> right. zombie land. But you know, I,
2: that's how I envision your work, right? Um, that's it. That is honestly <laughs> what we want to do. Like LV is a part of another. Uh, it's part of another co- coalition, kind of called uh, Turtle Island Mutual Aid Collective. Um, And it's a group of, so there's LVE, uh, Fight for Equity, Water Warriors, um, YYC, and Street Cats, I believe. Um, So we're all under one mutual aid collective. And our goal is to win the lottery, collect enough monetary donations from um, either like grant funding or community members, and build um a self-sufficient structure where we can have an outdoor garden we can have an indoor garden hydroponics aquaponics but also like and and this is i don't know what what type of year like 10 year five year hopefully like five year but we'll say 10 year goal um, of um an all-encompassing space where you know, we can have our drop-in center, we can have our um, our shelters, like emergency shelters for men, men and women, um, but then also like the wet shelter part of it too. Everyone needs support no matter where at what point they are, and a lot of um, the barriers that I have heard are and have personally experienced, if you are under the influence of anything you cannot get into a shelter.
0: So just to clarify for listeners, like a wet shelter is one that does not have restrictions on those experiencing addiction.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Um and uh you know, getting clean and sober on the streets is almost impossible. Like I have all you know, there are there are people that do it and I'm like how? I had to move um hours away. From my old stomping grounds to get clean and sober and I still relapsed here so for you to be in the same small rural community um on the streets getting clean and sober like we should step do that yes good for you but we do need we do need a structure that does support um like uh like a wet shelter um a shelter where women and children can come regardless if they're fleeing domestic violence or not because believe it or not out here in lloyd we do not have that We have one women's shelter, and you have to be fleeing domestic violence. Other than that, you have nowhere to go here. So um, that will also be a part of that. I know Tyler from Residence and Recovery, he has an awesome program for mothers and children. So instead of your children being taken away from you when you are receiving recovery support, you can now go into sober living with your children and, like, as a mom who had to get clean and sober without her her children. And that is so hard. The amount of shame you feel as a mother having your kids taken away from you, it doesn't make it easier, it makes it worse. I I, I truly believe that I went way farther down than I would have um, because I didn't have my child um, with me. She was taken away from me, so it is a sense of shame. So another part of that all encompassing structure is to have women and children in there to be, uh, to get clean and sober and just like, you know, um, cultural sensitivity, um, mental health training, um, just everything, everything under one umbrella. And it sounds, it sounds extravagant and grand, but I really do feel like um, it could, it could come into fruition for sure.
0: How sad for us to have to reflect on that and think it sounds extravagant. And it does by today's standards, but
2: mm-hmm. is it
0: right? Or is that what Seriously. we deserve? Um, mm-hmm. Like super kudos to you. Like you talk about your struggles and it, I've gone door to door too. And I've heard people who've had struggles and you can go one of two ways, right? We see people that was like, if I struggled, everyone should struggle. What's the big deal? I'm here, you know, but you know, no you you said no one after me you know what i mean i cannot sit idly by while my community members struggle so i know that you can't understand anyone operating any other way thank goodness for that like but there are so i i get so excited when we find people like you doing this work especially in difficult circumstances coming out of living in difficult circumstances like so many of us are i mean it's it just surviving sometimes in this atmosphere is something to look up to, but you, you both have done so much more than that. So I do give you immense praise for that. Um, And I'm sure a lot of listeners will. I want to end first tell people how they can donate or contribute to what you're doing. Um, Let's, you know, take a minute here and drop some uh, links or whatever you've got. And then you can provide that to me after, and I'll be sure to post it up when we post the episode, but how can people help you right now?
2: We have, we have a couple different ways. So we have, Hmm, we do have a Facebook group, Lloydminster and Vermilion for equity. It's a group. You have to join it. Um, we have a Facebook page where anyone can join that. Um, And then we if you want to donate to us, we have an email where you can EMTS Lloydminster Vermillion for equity at gmail.com um we did have a website but I messed it up somehow so I will ha- if anyone if anyone knows how to build a website and can do it voluntarily please let me know because I messed. I up. got you girl yes
0: <laughs> I was gonna I say I've got mind a mind. I've got a slack channel that it w- we can find somebody to help you with that that <laughs> okay. is not a problem
2: I don't know what the heck I did. Like, I got all the login information. I'm like, I'm going to fix this. And it was not the greatest. And then I ended up like going to check it out. And it was like, this page cannot be found. And I was like, what? Shame. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst return, right? It's like, oh, yeah. man.
2: I'm like, oh, shit. What did I do?
0: That's how we um, all all of us teach each other, right? Like, we just like trial and error, like bang our head against the wall. That's it was, to, trial and error. it. Um,
2: um and I think that's yeah that's how you can find us. Um I will send you all those links when we are done. We'll also do a monthly book club if anyone is interested. Yeah, it's um our page is the well it's a group. It's LVE Book Club. Um and we read obviously books about anti-racism. Um but we read books from other BIPOC ar- authors. Um We've read uh, Robin Maynard's *Policing and Black Lives, Ibrahim uh, Kendi, *Stand from the Beginning, um, uh, Clearing the Plains*, but I can't remember the author of that book. That was such a good book. But yes, yeah, so if you want to join that, it's LVE Book Club on Facebook. We'll make sure to get those links up and connected
0: to the show as well. So... On a parting thought what I'm going to ask the both of you to do is just kind of briefly um, tell me what you're most proud of at this moment. Um it could be related to what we've talked about or not at all. Um but yeah, what are you, what what success do you want to tell us about or just what are you proud of? Share something really positive with us.
1: Um wow, there's there's so many things. Um I think I've I've had a good Like I've been kind of sick the last little bit. So I'm trying to find all those little silver linings. Uh, I'll I'll think of three off the top of my head. Um, My Monstera gave me two babies recently. So now I I now have three Monstera plants instead of one. Um, I got to see Tigra Lee Campbell today, which is incredible. I love seeing her face. She's probably one of my favorite human beings. Um, So that's really great. I also got to see Jessica McLean, which is really awesome. She's also really incredible. Um, And I think... What I'm most excited for is that it's almost springtime, which means that Tigra and I get to go do some Antrefa work. Um, And I bought a bunch of seeds. I I have a bunch of really awesome food seeds and wildflower seeds ready to go um, in little seed bonds. And we're going to completely make Lloydminster a beautiful place to live, um, probably for the first time in the 14 years that I've also lived here because we moved here the same year.
0: I feel like I have to send you two seeds now. It's just I know they don't cost a lot, but it just seems symbolic. So I've got a grow light over there. I'm a sprouter myself. I am surely, you. Need, I need your mailing addresses, both of you, because I feel like if that's all I can contribute to your cause, and that's definitely. Seeds of solidarity. Because I'm excited it's about the quill of gardening. Like I am, <laughs> my hands need to be dirty all summer long. They already are. So seeds of solidarity is now a t-shirt. Yes. Like, <laughs> so yes. good. Jay, yes. Jay, Jay is listening. Please write all this down. We have a whole t-shirt factory we have to start, apparently. Yes, seats of
2: solidarity.
0: Tigra, you've got a lot to brag about as well. Um, what are you most proud of right now?
2: Well, I am like, I'm I'm so happy that I got to have this conversation today. I so appreciative a lot of, of it. Um, thanks so much, Des, for including me. And uh, yeah, I just love you so much. Um, I have a really hard time talking, like talking about myself. I think a lot of people who've gone through trauma have the same, (laughs) have the same outlook. Um, I, I honestly, I'm really proud of my recovery. Um, if I didn't get clean and sober, then I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, in January, I celebrated six years clean and sober from alcohol and methamphetamine. Yay! Um, so I am. Uh, I'm sorry if you can hear them. <laughs> I'm. I'm. That's my number one um, proud moment, um, and I'm proud of my kids. I'm, I'm proud of the mom I am, and. Um, it's really hard it's very hard work and when you're neurodivergent (laughs) it's even harder (laughs) Um, so I'm proud of that and and I'm proud of LVE I'm proud of the work that we've done in the community I'm proud of the relationships that we've built Um, I'm proud of uh, the, the the team and the support that we've that we've created and uh just having really awesome like-minded people um that we can build off of have a think tank with you know have different low-key missions out there you know we need to get this done and they're always down to do it um so yeah i'm 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 very proud of the work that lve's done and um Yeah, I guess I really want to honestly, like, thank the community, um, the vulnerable community and the unhoused community that we work with as well. We learn so much from them every week and uh, we really wouldn't know um, what to do, how to support them if um, they didn't uh, start to develop that trust with us and really trust us to be open, open with us. So,
0: yeah, well. I thank you for the same reasons like you came on here, both of you. I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot and take some inspiration um, that, that they can learn by your example as as your mission kind of states. So. I'm glad that you had a a laundry list of things to be proud of because you sure do. Um, You both do. I am so honored to be able to amplify that work. I will do my best to, you know, do that beyond the podcast as well because it's so critical. Um, I'm so grateful that people are still willing to do that through their struggles and capitalism has not got everybody down. There are so many fires burning across Canada in places you would maybe not even think of. So, um, again, thank you wonderful women so much for coming on here, being vulnerable, sharing your highs and your lows, expressing your love for one another as comrades um, is just absolutely beautiful way to start my weekend. Um, so uh, thank you again so much. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Tigre and Des and want to remind you to be sure to check out the work of Lloyd Minster Vermilion Equity Foundation. The community building that we heard discussed today and the importance of amplifying the voices of those most affected is what I'll take from me the most. Also, the incredible camaraderie between the two. I think that is important in terms of kind of getting through the work that they do. I hope it inspires you as well, uh, the listeners, to hear how much can be done in a really tough political environment with very little resources and very little time. Of course, as you hear, that is only made possible by, you know, finding genuine allies and comrades to share the workload, to push us to do better, and to really support each other. We heard a lot about burnout and how exhausting the work can be. If we all could just have comrades like Tigre Lee and Des, just imagine the work that we could get done. I encourage you all to support each other in the way that they do and to keep working on. Thank you. Like in all things that we do, there is a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon.com backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of disruption is a project of new left media, an independent employee owned company.